Well, as a reminder, the book of Revelation is the only book in the Bible that comes with its own divine outline. You've seen it, Revelation chapter 1, verse 19. The Bible says, The Lord, speaking to John the Apostle, write the things which you have seen, that would be the past, and the things which are, that would be the present, and the things which will take place after this. So Revelation chapter 1, verse 19 has its own divine outline. The past is chapter 1. The present is chapters 2 and 3. That's where we are right now in the book of Revelation, the uh, age of grace or the time of the Gentiles. And then write the future, the things that will take place after this. Chapter 4, verse 1 begins, after these things. After what things? After the church age. After these things. And then from chapter 4, verse 1, all the way through to the end of the book of Revelation, it is all the future. You go into heaven, you go into the tribulation period, and if you stay all the way through the end of the book of Revelation, you find out Jesus is coming back. There's going to be a millennial kingdom. And then at the very end, there's a new heaven and the new earth, and the Lord Jesus Christ rules and reigns forever and ever and ever. But the book of Revelation, its own divine outline. Don't make the book of Revelation harder than it is. I mentioned this before. If you get weird on this book, this book will get weird on you. If you don't get weird on it, you just follow its own rules. You follow its own rules, you will have, oh, I get it. Now it makes sense. So remember, John is writing to the seven churches in Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey, you can look up there on the screens and you can see where the stars are. Those are the basic locations of where the churches, the seven churches are that John was writing to. John is on the island of Patmos where he has been exiled. And the words that he is writing to the seven churches in chapters 2 and 3 are not just for them. They are for every church throughout the history of the world. And they are for every individual believer also. And the Lord tells us things that we don't always want to hear about us. And he also tells us things about our own church. So with that, let's get started with the next church. So far, we've seen the church of Ephesus. That's the church that left their first love. We've seen Smyrna, the persecuted church. And last time we saw Pergamos or Pergamum, the compromised or compromising church. So we pick up here with church number four, church number four is the corrupt church. Verse 18, Revelation chapter 2. <clears throat> the Lord says to John, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, his feet like fine brass. <clears throat> I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Uh, let's stop here for just a minute. Note, John is writing, but Jesus is the one who is speaking. So John is just the messenger. Now with the, uh, the church here in Thyatira, Thyatira is just like it has been with the rest of the churches. It's the sandwich model that Jesus is giving them. Remember what the sandwich model is? It's the blessing, and then the meat, and then the blessing. It's like a piece of sourdough bread, fried in butter, with cheese. That sounds like a stomachache, but a good one to have. And then, in, and then comes the meat, right? 
Oh, then he closes out with a blessing. More of that fried sourdough with butter. More of the cheese. And there's your sandwich, right? So this is what Jesus does with the church of Thyatira. Like he has with the other churches, it is the sandwich. It's the, it's the good part. And then comes the meat. And then he closes out with a, another good part. Uh, the blessing. By the way, it's a great approach to use if you're a manager or a boss. You have an employee you've got to talk to. Okay, this is what you've been doing good. However, we have this problem here. You fix this problem, and guess what? These blessings are for you. The sandwich model. So Jesus uses that with the churches, and, and specifically here, the church of Thyatira. So you got questions about this church? So do I. So the first question we have here, what were they doing right? Verse 19 again says this. <clears throat> Jesus speaking, I know your words. Love, service, faith. Can you excuse me a minute? <clears throat> okay, now I'm good. Verse 19, I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, wow, the last are more than the first. This is an amazing list. It contrasts with Ephesus, where, they, where Ephesus had the theology right and condemned sin. Uh, but they left the love out of it. And Jesus is saying, man, you got love in this verse? You've got service? You've got faith. And then Jesus doubles down on what he sees good. He says, as for your works, the last are more than the first. That is really good. It, it reminds me of the, the concern of entropy or, or failing energy. Uh, there can easily be a failing or a cooling fervor. You, you know how it works for many a Christian. They get saved and in the beginning, woohoo, and they want to serve everywhere. And yeah, we're going to change the world. I'm going to be involved. We're all going to do this. Woohoo, you're all excited. And then about a year goes by and you see him. Hey, what's going on, bro? Uh, you know, uh, no, I don't know. Tell me. But not these people, right? These people, there's none of that feeling energy. They started out, woohoo, and their last is even greater. Man, they are increasing. They didn't lose energy. They have actually increased in their good works. Uh, what a blessing it is that. And this is a compliment from Jesus himself. Could you imagine if Jesus came to you himself, just appeared there and say, put his arm around you and say, hey, I want to tell you, you're doing awesome. That would make you feel pretty good, wouldn't it? It would. I imagine that's how Peter the Apostle felt. Remember Peter the Apostle when he was complimented by Jesus? You remember what happened after he was complimented by Jesus? So what happened with, with Peter? He's up at Caesarea Philippi. Matthew chapter 16, you can read about it. He's up at Caesarea Philippi. He's standing there behind the, the, the giant rock as the backdrop. Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he says, by the way, who do you guys say that I am? And well, some say you're Elijah the prophet. Some say you're this. Some say you're that. Well, who do you say that I am? Peter, uh, uh, oh, 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 oh. Remember Horse Jack? Oh, 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 oh. I, I say, I say, uh, uh, Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Good answer, Peter. That was awesome. Upon this rock, upon your statement, I am the Christ, the son of the living God. I am going to build my church. Right? Woohoo, Peter. Woo. 
next conversation Peter's having with Jesus, they're walking down the road, and Jesus is letting him know, hey, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be crucified and die. Peter says, Lord, not so fast. Uh, 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 uh. It's not going to happen. Don't you know I am the great Peter? Uh, uh, you got this wrong. Time out, Lord. Jesus looks at Peter and says, oh, get behind me, Satan. But then so Peter was pretty puffed up thinking, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I get to tell Jesus what to do now. And, uh, and then Peter was totally humbled. That's what happens here with this church of Thyatira. You guys have done awesome. Look at your love, your faith, your works. It is great. Uh-oh. So what, did, what were they doing right? Woohoo! Uh-oh. Number two, what were they doing wrong? Look at this, verse 20. This is bad. This isn't just bad. This is very bad. <clears throat> Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Because you allow that woman Jezebel, as soon as you hear that, you know there's a problem, who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed. And those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to your works. Ouch! In fact, there's many scholars that believe where, where Jesus says here, I'm going to cast her into her sickbed. And she's bringing sexual immorality to a church. They believe it's some form of an STD that she had. And that's why he goes on and says, look, and all those who commit adultery with her, they're all going to get it and their children are going to suffer the whole thing. Because this is what she has brought into the church. Um, apparently this church had given themselves over to allow this immoral woman who the Lord calls Jezebel to be teaching and leading the people in their church. So with that, what is the next question? Well, it's obvious. It's who is Jezebel? This is probably, this name Jezebel, is probably a descriptive name and not the literal name of this person that's in Thyatira, but there was a Jezebel in the Old Testament. And regardless whether her, not, her name really was Jezebel, Jesus is making the comparison to that Jezebel of the Old Testament. Be, but before you go there, I want, I want to show you this. Remember, this is the church of Thyatira, right? Turn in your Bibles to the left, if you have your Bible with you, all the way to the book of Acts. And check this out. In Acts chapter 16, you see the beginning of the church of Thyatira. Look at this. Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 11. The ministry of Paul. Acts chapter 16, you there? Verse 11. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, check this out, verse 13. On the Sabbath day, that'd be Saturday, we went out of the city to the riverside, where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. So you have a group of women meeting at the, at the riverside. And now a certain woman, they, they would pray there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. 
She hears, hears the apostles, and she hears them. And she was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. You get that? Where's she from? Thyatira. What is she? She worships the Lord. Wow. And the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she went home, she talks to her husband and the kids, they all get baptized, right? You follow this? She begged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Listen, there are many Bible scholars that believe the church in Thyatira was started in Lydia's house. A faithful woman who loved the Lord. Some years later, what do we have? A Jezebel that has come into the church and she seems to have taken it over. So I look at this back in the book of Revelation, this, this Jezebel that's here, and um, this is bad news. But certainly it takes us back to the Old Testament Jezebel. And in the Old Testament, Jezebel was against the truth of God. She tried to kill the great prophet Elijah. In fact, Elijah the prophet, through the power of the Lord, had slain hundreds of prophets of Baal. But when this one woman, Elijah, just one woman, I mean, this guy is able to slay hundreds of people, hundreds of men. But one woman comes after him, Elijah takes off. He is running like a crazy man. He says, Lord, just take my life. That woman's trying to kill me. That shows you the power of one bad woman over one good man. <laughs> but I mean, seriously, I mean, that's, I mean, I mean, he's like, I mean, he was so awesome. And then this one woman, I'm going to get you. Ah, don't. Anyways. But the good news in the Old Testament, Jezebel died. It was kind of a gross death. Um. She goes out the window. She falls to the ground below. Her body kind of bursts open a little bit. Dogs eat her. And when, the, when they find her body, listen, this, I'm just giving you the Bible. I'm not making this up. The only thing that was left was her skull and her hands. The dogs had devoured this woman. She was an evil woman. That's kind of gross, isn't it? Listen, you got a problem with that. You got a problem with God. This is in his word. Besides, it's a man thing. But this woman, as Bible Gateway tells us, was treacherous, the original Jezebel. She was corrupt, and she was an idol worshiper. And this woman that's here in the New Testament, the Lord is comparing her. She's come into the church. She's like that Jezebel of the Old Testament. She calls herself a prophetess. A real prophet or a real prophetess would be speaking the truth of the Lord. But in this context, this prophetess is bringing new revelation into the church. And uh, she's bringing in, along with the new revelation, she is teaching sexual immorality. Now look at this again in verse 24. Now to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, this is the Lord speaking, as many as do not have this doctrine, this, this doctrine of Jezebel, the sexual immorality and the other things that she's bringing into the church, um, she's teaching. The, the leaders are letting her teach there. I say to you in the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put 
on you no other burden. So the Lord's saying, if you aren't holding on to this doctrine, you are in that church. So it's a real church. You're in that church. You're not believing this. I'm going to put on you no other burden, right? The, the uh, Revelation chapter 3, verse 24, in the NLT, uh, says it this way. But I have a message for the rest of you in Thyatira who have not followed this false teaching, right? In other words, you haven't done it. And the Lord's going to get to the, the other part of the sandwich in a minute, the blessing. But check this out. And then it says, deeper truths as they call them, depths of Satan, actually. So w- w- what's being said here? The Lord is saying this woman Jezebel, she brings in her sexual immorality. And along with that, she's also saying, let me tell you the deeper truths that you are not getting from the Word of God. You know that church that Paul started with Lydia some time back? There's deeper truths that all of you need to know. In fact, the word means having knowledge. It's referring to a secret knowledge. It's the lure of groups like the Illuminati and things like that that you hear. I've got this secret. I I, I can tell you this. Uh, You need to be really, really careful. Because I hear this in churches. I've heard this in churches for decades. And I hear it in prophecy circles. And and, I do a lot of conferences and different things. I've met different prophecy speakers all over the place. And... And um, when there is a deeper truth, when there is something else I need to show you, uh, that, that needs to be a red flag. God gives us his word. And, and I'm not going to name any names, but I have been in conversations with some speakers, and they write books and different things, and they'll say things. And I'm like, I've challenged them on, on those deeper truths. I know what these deeper truths do. They sell books, they sell DVDs, and, and, and they, they do all that stuff. And they get, it's like the itching of the ears, right? And, and they happen. And this is what the Lord is warning of right here. He says, man, you better watch out for those who claim the deeper truth. These deeper truths are really from the devil himself. And they are deceptive. Let, let me tell you this also. I can tell you. That somebody who is really sharp and has that ability to really sell can not believe in the Lord and create a theory, make it come across as, wow, have you heard this latest thing? Well, my pastor's never said that before. Oh, your pastor needs to know what's really going on. And they have this ability to do that. There's no intent of really, they'll throw the Lord's name in it and stuff like that. But, but I've met people. I'm telling you, I've met them. And I, it's, it's alarming when I realize, you know, you can be and standing in the name of the Lord. That's what she is. She calls herself a prophetess. I've got these deeper truths. Let me tell you what it is. And then you get sucked in. Uh, be careful. There's the truth. And then there's those things that are proclaimed as a deeper truth. Uh, be, be very careful. Uh, verse 20, you allow that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality. Jezebel calls herself a, a prophetess, but she's really a seductress. Uh, today, the church of Jesus Christ from around the globe has been infiltrated by many such seducers. I find it alarming 
but you should be aware, and it, sh- you should, it should be obvious to you, that the, the, the churches are inundated with teaching on just sexual immorality. And the things that are promoted in politics, churches are saying, hey, this stuff is all good. Uh, the Lord lives in the 21st century. And, and twisting these things. And there are many churches that buy into this type of teaching and saying, it's all good. Listen, it's not all good. It's not righteous. And, and you know, there, there are people who are homosexual. The Lord loves them. The Lord loves people who are transgender. I believe they're confused. And I look at it and I go, you know, they need, what they need is the Lord. What they don't need is to be placated and then told, yeah, so this is actually good. uh, Because God's desire is just for your personal fleshly happiness. And that is exactly what Jesus is is, uh, attacking uh, in this passage here with this church in Thyatira. You've allowed this doctrine to come into the church. Uh, Next, number four, what does God say that they should do? Verse 25, hold fast. By the way, that term hold fast, it means possess or seize. Uh, Hold fast, seize what you have till I come. In other words, for those who have not bought into the doctrine, right? Hold fast, possess the truth. Verse 26, and he who overcomes... And keeps my works until the end. To him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessel. As I have also received from my father. What's he talking about? In the millennial kingdom you will rule and reign. You press forward. You hold fast. You possess the truth. Don't give in to that doctrine. Listen, as a church and as a pastor, I can tell you there are a lot of pressures that come my way to cave into this doctrine or that doctrine. And people want to argue with me and twist things and say, yeah, but you just don't really love anybody if you don't really accept this kind of thing. Look, it's not about whether or not two gay men show up at our church holding hands. You know, the Lord loves them. I understand that. But it's whether or not I teach from the pulpit the truth of God. That, that those men will understand that, that God still loves them. And He still cares for them. And there is forgiveness, and there is hope, and there is healing. But, according to the Bible, that's not right. And there's a lot of pressure to back off. And, and I would imagine with a message like this, going out there on the internet, people get upset. But the truth is, God loves them. The truth is, also, sin needs to be judged. And God wants to forgive them, but you've got to repent and ask Christ to forgive you. So here he's saying, hold fast. Possess the truth. Don't let the truth go. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Also notice this. He doesn't tell the church of Thyatira. He doesn't tell the people who have not caved into the doctrine. He doesn't tell them to leave. Right? He doesn't tell them to leave the church. Basically, he says, look, you guys who are in leadership didn't deal with this doctrine that was there. So this is what I'm going to do. You didn't deal with it. I am going to deal with it. I'm going to cast her on a sickbed. All of those who have committed sexual immorality with her, they are going to to their sickbed. They're also going to be judged. 
They're going to be disciplined. And unfortunately, her children are too. He says, you didn't deal with it. You should have dealt with it. Now it's infected your church. I am going to discipline your church. But he doesn't say, leave the church. He says, possess the truth. Hold on fast to the truth. Don't say, leave the church. I want to encourage you um, that there are times when churches need to be disciplined. And, 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 you know, if the Lord tells a person to leave the church, who am I to say, you can't, you, you can't leave? But I've had people come to me before where their church was going through a disciplinary state. And they want to leave. And I said, don't leave. This is the time that that church needs you. God wants you to hold fast to the truth there. You stand firm. What happens if all of the solid believers leave the church? Then what happens to the church? It's either going to completely collapse and disappear, or it's just going to be run by false doctrine. It's going to be one or, uh, one or the other. So he's saying, look, you're in leadership. You have the truth. You hold fast to it. You possess it. You be strong and don't leave that place. Amen? Amen. Next church, the last church for this evening, the fifth church. It is the dead church. Look at this. And to the angel, verse chapter 3, verse 1 of the church of Sardis, write these things, says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, and that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast. Again, uh, possess. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Verse 5, He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out of his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit has to say to the churches. Let me stop here and deal with one thing before we move on. At the very end of what we just read, the Lord says, I will not blot their name out of the book of life. If you hold fast, you can move forward, right? So some people says that means you lose your salvation. Uh, or you can lose your salvation. That your name would be in the book of life, the Lord blots it out. That's not what's going on here. Uh, scholars have broken it down to the book of life and the Lamb's book of life where you're born. You're in the book of life. If, you are, if you're born again, you're in the Lamb's book of life. And if you're in the Lamb's book of life, you will not be blotted out of the book of life. But if you're not born again, not written in the Lamb's book of life, then your name will be erased from the book of life. Does that make sense? Okay, good, because I want to move on from there, because I want to focus on the problem with the dead church. So I've heard this for a long time, where people will say, that church is so dead, sometimes meaning that it was shrinking or they didn't have a lot of ministries. Usually when somebody tells me that church is so dead, what they're referring to is the worship. They mean, if it's somebody that likes contemporary worship, they say that church is so dead because they like hymns and, and, and organs and things like that. Therefore, they're dead. Oh, they're not contemporary. Oh, it's just awful, right? 
But the person who doesn't like contemporary music and only likes hymns and organs says, that church is so dead, I can tell you right now, with those drums, the Holy Spirit has left that building. There's no way that church is alive. But people form their own, their own opinions. I know because I read the things that come in. But people form their own opinions on what they think about a church being alive or dead. But with this one, it's really easy because Jesus takes out the guesswork. He says, I know you in Sardis, you are dead. You can't get any deader than when Jesus says that, that you are dead. But the funny thing is, with this church, it's known for being alive. Verse 1, these things says he who has the seven spirits and seven stars, I know your works, that you have a name, but you're dead. So they had a reputation as being alive. But Jesus, I mean, they're just deader than dead. A human evaluation of a church typically includes numbers, money, location, entertainment value of the preaching, whatever it may be. Um, listen, you can use those as standards, but none of those things give life. None of them do. Only the Lord gives life. So here's a few questions. Number one, does Jesus have anything good to say about this church? No. Jesus doesn't use the sandwich approach in this one. Maybe an open face sandwich. He just gives them the meat. You're dead. It's not very good taste of meat either. You are dead. And that's it. You're dead. And you're just, well, you're just like a, a I mean, what do you say to Someone is dead. In fact, the only two churches in the book of Revelation that Jesus doesn't use the sandwich approach, here's the really good that you do, here's the meat, and then here's the blessing for you. The only two churches are this one, Sardis, and Laodicea, which we are getting to pretty soon. You know, the lukewarm church that Jesus vomits out of his mouth? That one. But what's to commend to Sardis? They are dead. What do you say to a dead guy? Looking good. I mean, what do you say, right? You remember Weekend at Bernie's? How about this? You remember Christmas Vacation with, you know, Chevy Chase and the Clark Griswold? You know all that? All right, so they get the family uh, truckster. Remember that beauty of a car? They get the family truckster. They've got to make their way across the country. They're going to Wally World. Remember when Grandma died? Remember that one day, too? They strapped her on the... <laughs> She was dead. I'm sorry, but, but she was. Here's the thing. It's, this. it's a dead church. Understand this. A dead church has no life to offer. A living church has life to offer. The Lord Jesus Christ. So that you can know that when you are physically dead, you are going to be alive in the presence of the Lord. You can know that those who are dead in Christ who are already gone that you miss so dearly, guess what? In a living church, you get the truth and you realize it's not all about this life now. One day I'm going home. I'm excited. I cannot wait to get to heaven and just be there with my friends that have gone before me and, and to forever be united with my family. Listen, I don't want to die. In fact, I hope the rapture happens because I want to get up into heaven with my family going with me. You know what I mean? I don't want to be separated. Death it's horrible, it's miserable, but a living church can offer life, and we know we're going to be home with the Lord, never to be separated again. That is going to be fantastic, that place where there's no more sorrow, no more pain, no more death, no more tears for the former things that passed away. Wow, but a dead church cannot offer any of that. It's dead. 
Number two, what are the characteristics of a dead church? A dead church is empty. It's empty of the true Jesus. It may have lots of people, but it is spiritually empty. There is no there there. The words of eternal life once poured forth from its pulpit are now only politically correct platitudes. That's the way the pastor of this church is and people follow suit. They think they are alive. Their doctrine is for the joys of this world and not the next. Instead of warning about repentance and telling the people that there really is something called sin and that they can be forgiven and they can have a real life, eternal life, the church is dead. The pastor refuses to teach on sin and judgment and refuses to say that the Bible would, would teach something such as hell because it will upset the people and he doesn't want people to walk out of the congregation. He doesn't want to lose, the, he doesn't want to have empty seats because of it. So I've got to make them happy and the pastor wants to be happy. Here's the bottom line. It's a politically correct church, but it is a spiritually dead church. It is the church that the Apostle Paul warns about in the last days. 2 Timothy chapter 3. They have a form of godliness, but they deny its power from such turn away. Listen, I, I, I was, there's a popular pastor out there. And, um, and I never watched him, read about him, and different things he said. And I finally decided for myself, I'm going to see what he actually says. And so I watched two full programs, one one week, another another week. And he said this, you know, he, he said, uh, I want you to know when you come to this church, you will never hear about sin and judgment and hell. You will never hear about that. And he even said, why? I want you to be happy. Listen, that leads to your present happiness. Because when you go to a church and you don't hear the truth, what you're getting is, well, I guess it's okay that I cheat on my wife. I mean, what's sin? You know, what's the, what, what's the mark of sin if you don't have the truth? If you don't teach the Bible? It becomes what you... So whatever it is that you're doing wrong, that the Lord is convicting of you, you can come, ah, you're feeling pretty good, and, and, and you die happy in this world, dead to the next. That's not good. Right? Be, be concerned. Be concerned. Right? Um... What's another mark of a dead church? A dead church bears no good fruit. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 10, John the Baptist said, Every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Ouch! And Jesus is, himself said in the Sermon on the Mount, Every good tree bears good fruit, and, and a bad tree bears bad fruit. I, at my property, I like to plant fruit trees. We, we bought a home some years ago and it was a, it was a major fixer-upper. The house had all kinds of problems. It was going into foreclosure. Nothing was taken care of inside the home, on top of the home, or any of the property was. The, the fruit trees weren't watered for I don't know how long. And I got out the water and I started taking care of it. I just got this DNA to like fruit trees. I don't know what it is, but, but I do. It's kind of cool. So apple tree, uh, uh, peach tree, nectarine, grapefruit, oranges, uh, pomegranates, plums, all kinds of fruit trees I have. And uh, so I started nursing them all back to health. All of them have been saved except for one. I had a peach tree. I, it's, been, it's been since replaced. But I had this peach tree I tried for year one. 
I tried for year two. I would cut it. I would prune it. I would shape it. I would water it. I would fertilize. I would do everything that was necessary to get it back to life. Because I know how to do that with, with fruit trees. And, and I worked on it. And we're finally in the fourth year, this thing had like three really ugly peaches in year number four. I mean, they were ugly. And the tree's like this. And I, I, you know what I did? I cut it down. And I called one of my friends. He wanted firewood. I said, come on by and pick it up for firewood. Actually, he used the peach wood for a smoker for his barbecue and got the peach. That's a smart thing. But that's what the Lord is saying. Look, I'll, I'll cut down that tree that's not bearing any good fruit. That's what he's saying here to this church. This is what you're going to do? Gone. A dead church, number three, may be singing happy tunes, but it does not have the joy of heaven. What about the joy of heaven or the joy of the Lord? Romans chapter 5 verse 12 tells us rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Philippians chapter 3, finally my brethren rejoice in the Lord. Philippians chapter 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. It's rejoicing in the Lord. With that, what are the characteristics of a living church? A living church is a living adventure. Bear with me just a few more minutes. I promise we are almost done. Only 47 more pages of notes. No, that's it. That's all I got. It's a living adventure. I can tell you, before I came to Christ, you know, my life consisted of, it was, you know, I look back, it was rather boring. I'd mowed lawns, and, uh, you know, nothing wrong with that. I made a living, but then the rest of my life was just, it was just, well, what do I do tonight? And it was just the same old thing, right? I come to Christ. It has been an adventure, and I'm guessing that most people could say the same thing. If you've been in Christ very long, I get to go to Israel. I get to go to Israel a lot. And, and, and I, I get to go to Mexico and, and, and not go into the bars. I get to actually enjoy it and remember what I do when I'm down in Mexico, ministering down there. And it is a blast as you watch people's lives change. I, I, there's so many things I get to do. We, if you go with us, get to go to Europe. Listen, these, I, we, we're on TV, we're on the radio, we're reaching the ends of the earth. From Hemet, San Jacinto. Figure out that one. But I mean, the, the, in Christ, a living church is a living adventure. And you guys get to do it with me whenever you want. We just get to go. And it is really, really cool. Isn't that great? I mean, I look at my life in Christ and I think, well, I never, I would have been too afraid to ever leave the country before. And now you look, you go, man, God is just off the charts. Here's the secret. A living church has Jesus in its midst. People find forgiveness. They're taught repentance. People find the hope of heaven. And although they live in this world, they are living for the world to come. It's the place where our Master dwells. And even at times when it's not fun being a Christian, because sometimes it's, it's not a lot of fun. Uh-oh. Have I been pointing this laser at anybody? Because it's been on, I just discovered. <laughs> even, even times when it's not fun, it's okay. Because sometimes there's a lot of pressure. You know you are going to heaven, and you know regardless, the day is coming when it will be good. For Christians and for churches, life flows from Jesus himself. John chapter 1, verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Uh, how can we... Make sure that a church remains alive. Bible tells us. 
Jesus himself says, John chapter 14, Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. How do we make sure that we are alive? We abide in Him. Wow. And we heed His word. Again, Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. There is a promise of blessing for those who hear, read, and keep the words of this book. Abiding in Him. Man, I'm telling you, life is an adventure. And life is a blessing in the Lord. Even when life is hard, we know that ultimately... We are going home. Last and final question. What do people need to get to, to do to know that they will get to heaven when they die? Jesus tells us, look at this, chapter 3, first part of verse 2. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. Verse 5. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels check this out both churches we've seen a fire tire and sardis the lord said he who overcomes right check this out first john chapter 5 verse 4 whatever is born of god overcomes the world and this is the victory that has overcome the world our faith he who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that jesus is the son of God. If they hear, he closes out with, if you, if, if you confess me, I will confess you before my Father who is in heaven. That's a repeat of the words that he said in Matthew chapter 10, where he said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. But if you acknowledge me before men, you acknowledge me here as your Savior, I will acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. On that day, when you really need it, I'll say, this one is mine. He, she, acknowledged me before men. Father, they're mine. Welcome on in to the kingdom of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. Lord, we thank you for your word, your ministry. Lord, you are so awesome. You are so good. Lord, I pray that you would minister in such a way that we would get it as we go through your word. That we wouldn't be afraid of truth but we would understand that the truth is balanced with love, that people will come into the kingdom, for you are full of grace. We confess you here. You tell us you will confess us there. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, real carefully, we're going to have a closing song. There's going to be men and women down here to pray. And if you're here and you're thinking, you know what, I want to know more about Jesus. I want to know that when I die, I'm going to heaven. I want to know I'm forgiven. I want to have hope. Listen, there are men and women down here. This is what they're going to do. They're going to pray with you. You're going to tell them what you want to be prayed for, whatever it is. And they're going to give you a Bible also. The Lord loves you. And God did not send His Son into this world to condemn you, but that through Him you would be forgiven. 